Hear the word of the Lord from Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is upon you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as you are serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he is both their master and yours. And he is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Morning again. (laughs) Um, Well, who here, I'd like to see a show of hands, is really excited about going to work tomorrow? Hey, there's a few. Wow, a lot better than first service. (laughs) Of course, they weren't as awake, I don't think, either. But Here's a question for you as we think today about work. Should the way a believer in Christ thinks about work and does their work be different than the way an unbeliever thinks about their work and goes to work, does their work? Should a believer in Christ think differently and act differently than an unbeliever in how you do your work? And if so, how is it different? That's really the question we are addressing in our passage today. You see, work is a big part of our lives, right? If you really think about it, if work, if you expand the definition of work beyond just what you get paid for, but it includes work you do around the home, if uh, you're a housewife and, or a house husband and you're around home a lot, work takes up close to half of our time as human beings. That's a big chunk. And yet, I think often we don't think Christianly about it. We don't think it through. Uh, for most of us, I think work is just something we do, whether we work at a job, work around the home, work volunteering or whatever. It's something we sense that we need to do. But the question is, should Christians do it differently than others? See, God cares about our work. It's obviously a big part of who we are. He cares about our work just as He cares about everything else in our lives. And He wants us, to answer my question, (laughs) to do it differently than... The, wor- the world around us, to work differently with a different view, different way we do it. Why is this important? Because many of us in the world around us, but certainly many Christians as well, work this way. Work is something to be endured. We put in our time, we survive it so that we can get money to get the things we want or do the things we want to buy the things we want, to do leisure activities, to be able to travel or live for the weekend at the cabin or at the lake or with our kids or whatever it might be. But work is simply something that we endure to get what we need. 
Or sometimes work becomes a place where we look for status, a place to gain recognition or approval, advancement, to get power, maybe, or prestige. Or some of you work, I know, and this is a noble reason, because you see it as a way to serve people. Your job is a way to help others by teaching, by being a fireman, by counseling, etc. There's a lot of service jobs out there. These are all attitudes we find out there. But is there more? Is there more that God wants for us as his people, the people of God in this world? He's left us here for a reason. And part of it is he wants us to make a difference in how we do our work. How does God want us to view and do our work? Well, this passage that was just read to you, I think, gives us some marvelous principles to understand that, to transform our view of work, whether it's in the home or elsewhere. So we can represent Christ in our work as he intended. Now, let me just again set the context for you. I always keep reminding you of this, but we are in the part of Ephesians, walk, sit, walk, stand. First three chapters are all that he's done for us. We sit with Christ in the heavenly places. Then the next few chapters are talking about how we live this out, how we walk. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, Be filled with the Spirit. And part of that is, verse 21, submit to one another in the fear of Christ. So in the last few weeks in Ephesians, we've been looking at what it means to submit to one another in some key relationships. How wives submit to husbands and husbands to wives. How children submit to parents and parents to children. And today, how employees submit to employers and employers to employees. So let me begin with prayer and then we'll talk about what this looks like for us to submit to one another in our work situations. Lord, speak to us as we just sang about. Let your word go deep in us that we might be changed, that we might see our work differently, that we might... Be the people of God in our work situations, which takes so much of our time and energy. May we be your people at work, and may you teach us today about that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you listen to the passage being read, if you've looked at it, you may be going, well, wait a minute, you're talking about employee-employer. This is about slaves and masters. How does it apply to us? Well, let me explain that. <laughs> it does talk about slaves and masters. So how does it fit with work? And a, and a related question that many have when they read this is, why is Paul talking about slavery and not saying, man, this is a terrible institution. You ought to get rid of it. Why isn't he challenging that? Well, let's talk about that. I think there's three reasons why Paul's not challenging that. It'll help us understand how it applies to us in our job situations. First of all, we need to understand that slavery in the Roman Empire was very different than what we think of in our American experience of slavery, which was horrible and oppressive, terrible. Families were divided. Many died, etc. It was, it was an awful thing in the misuse of slaves here in America and other places around the world it has been. But slavery in the Roman Empire had evolved to a place where it was much more like 
our employee-employer relationships. Here's the way John Stott in his uh, wonderful commentary on Ephesians describes it. Slavery seems to have been universal in the ancient world. A high percentage of the population were slaves. It's been computed that in the Roman Empire there were 60 million slaves. They constituted the workforce. Get that. In the Roman Empire, they were the workers, the laborers of the work of the society. And they included not only domestic servants and manual laborers, but educated people as well, like doctors, teachers, and administrators. Slaves could be inherited or purchased or acquired in settlement of a bad debt, and prisoners of war commonly became slaves. Nobody queried or challenged the arrangement. It was just a fact of Mediterranean economic life. So no one saw it as a problem and no one challenged it. You see, it could be oppressive in the Roman Empire, but it seldom was. Free people would often enslave themselves, indentured servants, etc., so that they could get ahead in life. If they were struggling to make ends meet, they would go make themselves a slave to a wealthy person, a landowner perhaps, work in their home, often get an education. They would get some money. They would often get paid. They would save up that money. And generally within seven years, they were able to buy their freedom and get out. And yet they would have had all these gains of education and other things as well. It was often a way to get ahead. Slaves were often far better off than free people in the Roman Empire. Most all people were freed within seven years. Most all were freed by the time they were 30 at least. There were nannies, tutors, managers, executives, etc. So that's one reason that Paul doesn't make a big deal about it. It was a fact of life and it was really similar to our work situation today, employee, employer relationships. Another reason I think that Paul doesn't make a big deal about it is that the Christians were a persecuted minority. There was no way they could have lobbied to change things to get rid of slavery. They were a very small, tiny minority. They wouldn't have been able to overthrow the institution of slavery, which was just a fact of life. But thirdly, I think Paul knew something about the power of the gospel. He knew that if you really want to change society, the best way to do it is not through political pressure lobbying, but through changed hearts. That's been the history of the world, folks. If you really want to change society, you do it by changing hearts. And historically, it's in societies where Christianity has flourished that slavery has been done away with. Paul knew that. So slavery in the Roman Empire was most, in our day and age, like our employer-employee relationship. That's how the passage applies to us. So how should a true believer in Christ, one of the people of God, us, how should we work? How should we view our work? How should we live it out? Well, I want to talk as we go through this passage using three words. The how the who and the why. How, who, and why. So let's talk about the how of work, what we're called to. Verse 5, let me read this again. Slaves, be obedient 
to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Pretty simple a command there, isn't it? Here's how a Christian is to do their work. Be obedient. (laughs) Do what you're told. Do the job well. Now we may say, well, duh, that's simple. But too often in today's world, it's hard for employers to find people that actually are willing to do the work, (laughs) to do what they're told. I've talked to a number of employers who are hiring people and, and they say it's just so hard to find people who are willing to just work hard and follow directions. You see, we've kind of lost this work ethic, this obedient, submissive work ethic, and it's hard to find people who show up on time and simply do the job in the best way. When I was in seminary, I took a job at a place called Antique Village. We were rebuilding antique furniture. And I worked for a guy named Larry. He was the boss, and he hired me, and I came in, and we were doing all levels of rebuilding furniture. And he said, well, do you know how to use the woodworking equipment, table saw, band saw, planer, etc.? I said, yeah, absolutely. I took wood shop all through high school, love working with wood. I've got training. It's great. I, I, I know how to do that. He said, well you know what, I don't really have time to check you out on it and I don't know if I can believe you, so you just take a sander and you go sand. He didn't trust me. Why was that? Well, it's because he'd been lied to so many times. He'd been cheated by employees who didn't do the job, who didn't work hard, who had lied and told him they were Uh, been checked out on equipment, and so he didn't believe me. You see, we are to be Christians who tell the truth, who work hard, who simply are obedient at work, who are known for that in our jobs. Are you known for doing the job and doing it well? There's three qualifiers in this passage that he describes this obedience and how we're to do it. He says, be obedient to who are your masters according to, to the flesh with, number one, fear and trembling. Does this mean we should be terrified of our boss that he might fire us? <laughs> no. When the scripture talks about fear and trembling, most often it's talking about respect, a sense of honor, a sense of taking seriously our boss and their position a sense that God put this person in my life. Do you get that? Whoever your boss is, no matter how hard they are to deal with, God gave them to you. God gave you your boss. And if you really believe that and have a sense for that, then you will do your job with fear and trembling. You will be obedient because you see, ultimately, this person is a gift to you from Christ. So you respect the position, even if they're not a great boss, even if they're not the best person. This is very different than resistance, kind of not doing the job or or resisting it, maybe passive-aggressive in the way you do it, either or direct resistance or a critical attitude, but rather it's an attitude of honor as you obey. That's the first qualifier. The second qualifier is says, in the sincerity of your heart. 
That word sincerity, it really has two meanings. One means to be single-minded. Single-minded. In other words, you're focused on doing the job as best you can. But the other meaning of that word that's related means to be generous. Now just think about that for a minute, what that would mean, to be generous as you obey your boss, to do it in a way where you go the extra mile, where maybe you anticipate what your boss wants you to do and you go out of your way to be generous to him or her and make it happen. I think your boss would be blown away, wouldn't he or she? But that's what we're called to as believers, to be single-minded in wanting to generously bless our boss. Now think about the way we mostly approach our bosses. What kind of conversation is there in the break room or around the coffee pot or the water cooler or whatever it might be where you gather with other workers or your cubicle? about the boss, right? Oh, did you hear what the boss did? It was awful. I can't believe he or she did this. And we get into that. That's the way the world responds. You know, it's always complaining about the boss or the boss's boss or the CEO or whoever it is. But what Paul is saying as Christians, we ought to respond differently and not get into that, but rather honor with sincerity of heart, wanting to generously bless our boss. Wouldn't that transform your attitude? <laughs> and I believe your boss's attitude as well. I go back to my job at, going back for a second to my job at Antique Village in Los Altos, California when I was building antique furniture. And the way my boss treated me, Larry, made me very angry. I mean, hey, I'm a seminary student I'm training to be a pastor. How can you not believe me? How can you treat me this way? And for a number of weeks, I was just angry and critical and found myself talking behind his back. It's not good. God began to speak to my heart and say, look, that's not what I've called you to. I put you here for a reason, to deal with your own attitude first. And as God began to speak to my heart and I began to change my perspective, it was interesting the way God began to work because it went fairly quickly in the months I was there from me being stuck with a sander <laughs> to eventually, within a few weeks, my boss said, I've got to go away for two weeks to go buy more furniture back in the Midwest. And he put me in charge of the entire shop and all the employees. And I know it's just because God had changed my attitude. And kind of the end of the story is another one of my coworkers got married. I was asked to do the wedding. And so the whole group came and I was able to share Christ with them at this wedding and teach truth. You know, God just opened doors because he changed my attitude. Now, I'm not guaranteeing that's going to happen and everything's going to change in your workplace. But if you're following Christ and doing what he wants you to, then he will bless you somehow, even if it's just in your changed perspective at work, in the sincerity of your heart. Third qualifier he gives us in this verse is to do it as to Christ. As if it's Christ you are serving, just as you would obey Christ. In other words, to have an attitude that your boss, whoever it is, represents Jesus to you. 
How would you serve Jesus if he were your boss? Think for a moment about that. If you put Jesus in your boss's place, how would you respond to him? He says, respond that way to your boss as to Christ. Treat him accordingly with respect and doing your best. Now, clearly, if your boss asks you to do something immoral, you don't do it. Or to lie or cheat, obviously, you can't do that. You've got to serve Christ first. But those aren't typically what we have to struggle with. It's just things we don't like to do. But as Jesus obeyed the Father, went to the cross, so we are to follow in his footsteps and obey. That's the how we are to work. How about the who? Who do we work for? What does this passage tell us? Well, notice in verses 6 and 7, three different times it says who. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will render service as to the Lord. Three times, slaves of Christ, doing the will of God, rendering service to the Lord. In other words, he's saying, when you work, you ultimately really are not serving your boss or your boss's boss or the company or the bottom line. Who you are serving is Christ. That's the way a Christian is to think about their work. That your work is an opportunity to serve Christ in this environment that God has placed you in. You're not really serving the organization or the boss. So whether you're at HP or Micron, a butcher shop, computer programming, you're working in networking or sales, you're a housewife serving your family or a house husband, you're doing construction, you're making lattes at Starbucks, and I could go on and on, but I can't cover everything, but put yourself in there. No matter what you're doing, it's God you are serving. That's what he says. You're serving Him. Teach, so he says, teach your class for the Lord. Clean your house for the Lord. Build houses for the Lord. Teach the Bible for the Lord. Whatever you are called to do, to do that. And he gives us this warning in the midst of that. Don't do it by way of eye service. It's a literal translation. Eye service. That's a great word. It means to serve an eyeball. It does. Think about that. This big eyeball sitting next to your cubicle. And that's what you're serving. I mean, it's that picture that he's trying to get here. That too often we, in the world, but also as believers, we do our work simply when we see the boss, when we know the boss is watching. When big brother's looking over our shoulder. And we do it to please him, but when we know he's not watching, when we think he won't find out, he or she won't find out about it, then we slack off. That's typical in the world. That's what happens when you think what you're doing is serving people. And so you try to get away with what you can. But if your attitude is, I'm serving Christ, you know that he's with you all the time. And so you want to be faithful and consistent, honest, because you know God's always there and you want to please him. Maybe some of you have experienced what I have. You know, you go to work and, 
and you jump into the job and you put a lot of energy into it and then suddenly you find some of your coworkers giving you a bad time. Hey, don't work so hard. You're making the rest of us look bad. You know, you don't, you don't know how it works around here. You've got to learn the ropes and part of that is you've you got to pace yourself. And we get this pressure that somehow we, got to, we have to blend in with everybody else of not working hard, kind of slacking off when the boss isn't watching, etc. That's very common, isn't it? And many of you have experienced that, as I have in work. And he's saying, don't work by eye service, by peer pressure. But see your work as an opportunity to serve God, to serve Him, to... Do what he's called you to do as the new people of God. That's the radical new Christian way to do it because he's changed our lives. That everything I do is for the Lord. And I hope you get that sense that you are in full-time Christian ministry just as much as I am. I don't care what your job is. You have been put there to live out your life as a Christian in your work. I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not saying it's convenient. But you represent Christ there and therefore you are to do the work for Him. He is the one you serve, not your boss, not the bottom line. A while ago I read a book called Secular Work is Full-Time Service. It's now been renamed Serving Christ in the Workplace. If you want to study this more, it's a good book to do that, to look at it. Serving Christ in the Workplace. The sense of everything we do is full-time ministry, even secular work. John Hanna, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, said this, If God has called you to be a janitor, you should not stoop so low as to be a clergyman or a pastor. Do you get that? If God's called you to be a janitor, don't stoop down to being a pastor. Don't think that that's somehow better or more important or more valued. Your work, wherever it is, is a place where you serve God. And so if you have that attitude, you begin to see that everything I do then is in His hands. That's the who of true Christian work. I serve Him. I'm going over my boss's head <laughs> to the Lord. That's who I serve. How about the why of work? Why do we do the work we do? Why do you do the work you do? Think about it for a sec. I think for most of us, many of us at least, we endure the work we do because we are working for the money. We need to work to get money. Well, notice what he says in verse 7 and 8. With good will render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Should we work to make money? Let me make this clear. No. That's not the reason we are to work as Christians. And you may say, well, wait a minute. I've got to take care of my family. I've got to meet my family's needs. Well, Jesus has promised to meet your needs. We're to trust Him to meet our needs. Now, He most often does that through a job. That's true. But if you have a sense that God's going to take care of me, then the main reason you work then isn't for money to get your needs met if he's ultimately the provider do you work for status 
Do you work to feel good about yourself? Well, God created us to work. In fact, Adam and Eve were put in the garden. They were told to work there. I think work is something we are to get satisfaction from to a certain degree. We're created for it. I think it's a good thing to work. We should get satisfaction. I think we'll be working in heaven. There'll be work to do, and we'll get satisfaction from that. But notice the main reason he says here to work is that you're looking for heavenly rewards, not earthly rewards. You're seeking to please him in your service, in your work, not yourself. You're really working for the heavenly rewards that he has promised you. Isn't that a whole different way to think about your work? That you're looking at it as an opportunity to do good for other people, to be a blessing to your boss, to your coworkers, to those under you, whoever it is. So you're working not really for wages, but for true heavenly rewards. He says that's why a Christian should work. Well, that's an employee situation. What about the employers? If you're an employer, what does it say about our work? Verse 9, Masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. This has to be shocking. It had to be shocking in their day because masters had power, control. They depended on that power. Slaves had no rights legally. And yet, notice what he tells employers to do. Amazing. Do the same things. In other words, to them. In other words, respect your employees. Serve your employees. Seek to be generous in your attitude with your employees if you're a boss. Isn't that mind-boggling? I mean, that's, that's totally different than the way we tend to think about bosses. It's radical. It's an amazing perspective given the power and the rights that masters had. But if you follow some of the books that have been read, written recently about business and about management, things like from good to great, they keep saying things like, you know, the best bosses are those who have a servant heart, who are there to serve their employees. So even the secular world's picking up on it how important and right the scriptures are in this area. And he says, and watch out for this in particular, give up threatening. There's a temptation in work when you're a boss to try to motivate the people under you through guilt, through pressure, through threatening. Think about the bosses you've had. Think back. Have, did you have a boss like that that tended to try to motivate through threats. You better finish this on time or else. If you don't improve your performance, we're going to put you on probation. If you don't do this right, if you don't do that, if you don't, etc., etc. Threatening. Well, Paul says, as a Christian boss, if you are a boss, he says, that's the wrong way to motivate. That's not what you're called to. In fact, the way you motivate is to serve, have a servant heart for those under you, to care for them. God has called Christian bosses to lead through serving those under you. And as I talked to somebody in between services, they said, you know, I really try to do that, but sometimes that's hard because my bosses over me want to 
be more authoritarian. But I'm committed to leading the way Christ wants me to lead. It's a totally different way than the world tends to lead, having a servant leadership in your work. And yet that's what God has called us to do as Christians. You see, the key to all of this in the end of verse 9 is that you realize that we all serve the same master. Whether you're an employer or employee, the one you really serve is Christ. And he looks down on us and sees us all as equal. He's not impressed by a position in a corporation or in a job. We all are serving him and there's no partiality with him. So he's called us in our jobs to realize that we are serving him ultimately in all we do. And he'll judge us according to how well we've loved those in our care, whether we are employee or an employer, not in how efficient or productive your department was, but how well you've loved those in your care. He's over your company, your business, your home, wherever you do your work. You see, the key to all this is whether you're an employee or an employer or have your own business or work at home, whatever it is, to see all that you do including all your work, as a way to serve God, to do His will from the heart, and to bless others through your work, to be Christ to others. Just as Christ was obedient to the Father, we depend on Christ's power to be obedient to those over us. Just as Christ was a servant leader, we depend on Christ's power to be a servant leader to those we've been placed over And as we depend on his power to do that, we'll see that Christian work really is different than secular work as we live out the life of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that helps us see that everything about us as Christians is to be different. And we confess it's too often that we fall into worldly attitudes, grumbling at the boss, being selfish, self-centered in how we do our work. But thank you, Lord, you've shown us a new way, the way of the new humanity, the way of Christ. Help us, Lord, as we work this week in whatever place you have placed us with whatever bosses or employees you've given us. Help us to live out your life, to be you to those around us, that they may know that your love is real as we live generously with a servant heart. In Jesus' name, amen.